Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Scripture comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, who is called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Scripture well read, all those songs sung very well. Uh, This is an ironic Sunday. Um, We are a a lectionary church, and by that I mean there, there is this resource called the lectionary that is based on the Christian calendar, the seasons in the Christian calendar, and based on those seasons, each week I'm handed uh, several texts from which to choose in order to fashion a sermon. This Sunday is uh, unique amongst all the Sundays because I'm actually handed two sets of scriptures. One entire set has to do with the Liturgy of the Palms. You've already seen the By the way, that was a bunch of of kids. Please keep those next step pledges coming, and all God's people said. Amen. And a bunch of those kids were from our sister congregation, uh, Impact Church. And so after they went here, they went all the way back there to do the same thing back at Impact Church. So so that's a good thing. I want to do more, not less of that. So that's pretty cool. So you saw the Palm March, and there are passages of Scripture, and especially those gospel texts you'd be familiar with, they they have to do with the triumphal entry and this this parade that took place uh, here in what we believe to be the the last few days of Christ's life before the crucifixion. But I'm also handed a few Scriptures that are under a different category. It's called uh, the Liturgy of the Passion. Palm Sunday begins... Holy Week. Here is the way I want to say it. Jesus begins to die today. And that strange sort of juxtaposition is what, uh, as Tamara was trying to communicate, even, even as it has to do with the musical setup today. You have the big and the boisterous. See that as sort of reminiscent of, of the big the big uh, march and the parade that day. But then you had the, the, the dressed down and the quiet and fewer people on the platform. And that's going to be reminiscent of what I believe to be sort of the theme and the tone of Scripture today. Because here's what you're going to see. By the way, the, the gospel text that I was handed today uh, to preach from is more than 100 verses long. So imagine how long the sermon is going to be. Um, over a hundred verses long. It is most of chapter 26, and then it is also chapter 27. And it is so because I think the folks who organize lectionary want us to, to have some sense of how everything flows and progresses in an awful sort of way. In an awful sort of way. 
What you're going to notice today, and what I'm going to point out, and by the way, it's, it's, it's unlike really any sermon I've preached, at least in recent memory, I am I'm going to read a lot of these scriptures to you and paraphrase other whole chunks for you, and I'm going to punctuate it all with a few words here and there. But what you're going to see is this, this crowd that surrounded Jesus, all of those parade goers, groupies, the good mob, right? You, you start to watch as we read through these scriptures how the crowd gets smaller and smaller and, and smaller until you get to the inner circle and then the inner circle can't quite hang and then it gets smaller and smaller until Jesus is alone and then Jesus out loud wonders if God's there and all of that seems very chronically human to me. And in that it's Lent and and in that it's Holy Week, this is the week that I really need for all of us, me included, to ask ourselves this terrible question. Are you ready? If you're visiting with us today, welcome. There's going to be just a sermon full of terrible questions today. Is it possible that I'm more like the people who ended up killing Jesus than I want to believe? Is it possible that I have it in me to say, Welcome, Jesus, hail the king of the Jews, and wave the palm branches. Do I have it in me to be that person at the beginning of the week, and then at the end of the week when I haven't gotten what I wanted out of Jesus, to say, yeah, enough, crucify him? Do I I share something in common with these people that I see slowly but surely falling away? Are you, am I, are we self-aware enough to see how it is that we too have something to repent? To miss, to miss that is to miss something important. And I'm really made nervous by people who lack self-awareness. Anybody else? <laughs> Completely weirded out by folks who lack self-awareness. This is... Um, Claire Hughes Johnson, for a long time, she worked for this huge tech giant by the name of Google, and she was in charge of all of the high-level hiring and firing. And here is the thing that she said. She's left that job, and she's on to something else now, but she, she was interviewed not too long ago by CNBC, and she said, the one thing I was always looking for was the, the most rare of traits in a potential employee, and that is self-awareness. Now, 95% of the people I interviewed said they had it, but the way I measured it, only 10 to 15% actually had it. I mean, I'm telling you, this stuff makes me nervous. I mean, I'm nervous that I'm not completely aware of of what I am saying or how I'm being received and how I'm coming across. And I'm so nervous about it, even for our staff members, that they'll tell you, just before the pandemic, we did a series of meetings with the pastor, and it was John sitting across the table saying, are you (laughs) self-aware? Do you know how it is that you are coming across? Friend, do you know how it is that you're coming across? Do you lack the kind of self-awareness that would today allow you to see, oh no, I am like them? Because you are. And I am. The season of Lent is an exercise for the self-aware or the willing to be self-aware who are willing to own their own complicity 
to own their, their guilt, to make themselves aware of our absolute need for the kind of grace that is available to us, and not just next week, but also today. But if, if you lack self-awareness, and if you lack the willingness to be self-aware, you will not fully appreciate the impact of Holy Week. You will not fully appreciate the impact of Easter Sunday. The question I have is, do we have the stomach to stomach all that we have in common with those that we'll read about in these next verses? Because to be unaware, to be unwilling, will result in their underappreciating, in all of our underappreciating the grace made available to us. think you might be guilty. And here's why I think you might be guilty. Because I think I am too. And I think all of us fit into this category of chronically normal. My experience is Christian people don't like to be guilty. They don't, they don't like to take this kind of responsibility. There is a generation that really likes it when the pastor kicks the crud out of them every week. There is, there is. I have come up against some of those before. Not against, but I've been in the, in the presence of some of those people before. But it is kind of that question today. <laughs> and to opt out of your guilt today is to opt out of the grace made available to you to us tomorrow. So, as I read, I want you to ask yourself this question over and over again. Is this where I would have opted out? Might I have behaved the same way? Am I guilty? You've already heard this read very well. Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So here we go. Let's start reading now. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, now where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he said, well, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. And when it was evening, he took his place with the 12, and while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him, one after another, surely it's not me, Lord. And he answered, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Judas, who did betray him, was one who said, surely not I, Lord, Jesus replied, well, you have said so. At the beginning of the week, there was this huge crowd of supporters, right? But they are conspicuously absent now, right? Conspicuously absent now. Here, here is Jesus with his inner circle of disciples. And yet there is amongst them one who would betray Jesus. I sometimes think that we're too hard on Judas. I mean, who among us hasn't betrayed Jesus?
I mean, it was several pieces of silver, and it was enough that they could finally buy a field, which Scripture tells us later on. It probably wasn't life-changing money, but, but friends, it was money. And I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I'm, I, I see people, and sometimes it's the person in the mirror, who it's not so much that I love money, I fear not having it. Right? And that fear of not having it might actually be what tips the scales and causes you to betray in one way or another. I mean, have you, have I, for any amount of money, left the way of Jesus, the way, the way of Jesus, which is to leave Jesus? Taking the dollars, which in Judah's case now functions as a bribe, even if you regretted it later, but, but please notice that Jesus still here is willing to share a meal and share himself with his betrayer. And, not to give away the end, but I, I would submit to you that Jesus is still willing to share a meal with those who might have even recently betrayed him. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it. Does this sound familiar? Gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks to them, he said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Later on, Jesus would say to them, You all will be deserters because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter stood up, probably interrupted him, and said, Hang on. All of these weaklings around here, they may desert you, but I will never desert you. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. Have you ever at camp on a Thursday night made a promise that you didn't keep? Though none go with you, though none go with me, Lord, still I will follow. No turning back. <laughs> Until you do. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Oh, this is tough, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry ahead of time for what the Bible's going to make me say to you. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And Jesus began to be grieved and agitated. And then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to, the, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, I don't want to do this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, really? So you could not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you know the story. He goes off and he prays again. He 
He's in agony and in anguish because this Jesus is so very human. He comes back and they're still sleeping and taking their rest. He says, well, stand up. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now this inner circle, Peter, James, and John, we always understand them as the inner circle, but now that inner circle is reduced by three. All sleep casualties. But I have to admit, I too have been too tired to keep on keeping on. Anybody else? Have you ever been too tired to be obedient? Too tired to be faithful? I mean, the way of Christianity, the way of Christ, is not, in fact, the path of least resistance. <laughs> the, the posture of love that's willing to suffer, that posture, that way of being alive, is exhausting. And sometimes, I have to confess, I am your pastor, I, I do take the easier path because it's hard to summon the energy to do anything else. I mean, I was up late. Do I, do you, do we often enough take advantage of God-provided moments of refreshment so that we can prepare for the exhaustion of faithfulness? Or do we choose sleep? While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And at once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. Big hug and then a kiss. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. But then suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword drew it and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus said, hang on, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled which say it must happen this way? And that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? And day after day, day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you didn't arrest me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. And then all the disciples, it says here, deserted him and fled. Cowards, right? All the disciples now fled, scattered by scary violence. Now, perhaps in the room there are people who have just enough courage to say, yep, me too. Come at me with swords, I'm probably leaving. Of course, it'd be really weird these days to come out, come out with somebody with swords. Probably leaving. But maybe there's somebody in the room who would say, not me. Buddy, I am packing. <laughs> I, I have to admit, there's a part of me, the part that likes old Clint Eastwood movies, kind of likes what we think Simon Peter did here, which is evidence that 
there's more work for God to do in me. It's too strong of an amen. <laughs> I need to confess to you that in a moment of conflict, I too have opted for the power games instead of the love that's willing to suffer. And sometimes that's been at home. Sometimes it's been at work. And sometimes that's been when doing business in the biggest and smallest of ways. Sometimes I have chosen power when love should have been the choice. You? Do you hate your boss? I don't. I would like to say I do not hate my boss. Do you? Yes, John, you would too if you knew my boss. Maybe you are the boss. Are you the boss that's opting for the power games instead of Christianity? I mean, does everybody recognize, right, that Christianity is not supposed to be compartmentalized? <laughs> it is the stubborn belief of this Jesus character that the way of Christ would be an effective way, no matter what room you're in, that includes the boardroom, the classroom, all the rooms at your house, all the rooms at work. Is this where you would have opted out? Is this where I opt out? Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it back in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer, Jesus? Why is it that they testify against you? But Jesus remained conspicuously silent. And then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you said it, not me. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict, they answered. He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and they struck him and some slapped him saying, prophesy to us now, Messiah, who is it that struck you? And I must confess to you that sometimes reading these passages of scripture and seeing the Jesus that I see here, I too have wondered sometimes out loud if Jesus was going about being the Messiah in the best way. Like, maybe we should revisit that legions of angels thing. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. Ugh. A servant girl came to him and said, you also were with Jesus in, in uh, the Galilean, but he denied it before all of them saying, I do not know what you are talking about. Imagine how terrified he must have been. When he went out on the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, that guy, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, with an oath. I do not know the man, I swear it. 
After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are also one of them for your accent betrays you. And then he began to curse and he swore another oath and he said, I do not know the man. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered what Jesus has said before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And now it's official, Peter's gone too. Is this where I should admit that I think sometimes I'm guilty of denying Christ as well. Sometimes with my words, perhaps not as specifically as I deny Jesus, the one who aches to be my Lord and Redeemer, but perhaps with other words used on other innocent bystanders. (laughs) But perhaps, perhaps it was my actions, and as we all know, actions speak louder than words. Have I or have you perhaps this week communicated with your actions that Jesus is not or is no longer Lord for you? Have I or have you pledged first place allegiance to another rescuer, someone who would rescue in a very different way? someone else or something else that would gladly serve as Lord in your life if given opportunity. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, and he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, but they said, don't care. Your problem now, not ours. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he left, and then he went and killed himself. In another room, Jesus is standing before the governor, Pilate, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you said it, not me. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And now comes that moment when Pilate says, well, Perhaps they would rather have the mass murderer. I will put it to a vote of the people. (laughs) Which one would you rather have? The super dangerous person who's going to kill people or this Jesus character? Which of the two do you want me to release? The crowd said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what should I do with this Jesus then? It was called the Messiah. And all of them said, let him be crucified. I guarantee you some of those people were waving palm branches earlier in the week. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water, Pilate, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. And then the people as a whole answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So he releases Barabbas to them and then has Jesus beaten and hands him over to be crucified. And now Jesus, utterly alone, faces an angry mob, some of whom were in the first parade. But I have to be honest with you, like those in the mob that day, I think I too have battled the periodic sense of disenchantment. Shouldn't things be better by now, I'll pray? And sometimes, like Pilate, I I too have hidden my face 
from just suffering in general. And I too have that same ache to not be guilty where Jesus' blood is concerned. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they shoved it down onto his head. They took him to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And over his head, they put the charge against him. And the charge read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Rome will not stomach a competitor king. They crucified two bandits with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, mocked him, saying he saved others, can't seem to save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross now, then we will believe, because that's what it takes to believe. You must be wowed in order to believe. Anybody else? I mean, how many people, how many people measure their belief in the number of goosebumps they have in a given moment? And the absence of goosebumps somehow gets then translated in the absence of the real thing. The bandits who were with him being crucified also taunted him in the same way. And then, about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, God, you too? Jesus is keenly aware that he has gone from early in the week having a crowd on his side. Not just a crowd, but a crowd on his side. Jesus was keenly aware that when the crowd left, he was left with disciples, and he was keenly aware that not all the disciples would make it, but at least he had those inner circle three. But they couldn't make it. Maybe Peter will stick with me. Peter's gone. My God, my God, have you forsaken me too? I've prayed that prayer too. Don't look at me like that. I know some of you prayed that prayer too. Some of you have lived nightmarish chapters that are so nightmarish that I didn't blame you when you prayed that. I sometimes wonder if, though it was his last breath, I sometimes wonder if Jesus said that, or whispered it. It's possible that he, he kind of choked out a line of a song. Because those words are not incidental or accidental. Those are the words from Psalm 22. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because it's long as well, but I'm going to read chunks of it to you. 
It starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my chest. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried out to him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. In other words, remarkably, (laughs) though betrayed by people like us, say it like that at least, right? Though denied by people like us. Remarkably, though the people around Jesus acted in moments as if they had not heard a word he had said, (laughs) Simon Peter put the sword away. Jesus did not give up on them. Jesus perhaps demonstrates a grace beyond the capacity that I have to demonstrate it, at least in this moment. Jesus demonstrates this this incredible grace because Jesus continues to give himself to those who would deny and betray. It's old Christian lore, probably nothing to it, but there is an old story is built out of a passage. First Peter, it talks about Jesus descending into hell and and the story that gets attached to it. Again, you're not going to find this in Scripture. It's just folklore, let's say. But the folklore says that Jesus didn't just swing down into hell. He went down looking for Judas. To bring him back. And you can't find it in Scripture, but but here's what I'll say. It wouldn't surprise me. Anybody else? (laughs) Wouldn't, Wouldn't surprise me that the God of the betrayer would go looking for the betrayer. It would not surprise me in the least that the God who knew exactly all that he needed to know about Judas and still chose him would not surprise me at all that that same God would go and fish Judas out of eternity and at least give him the opportunity to come back, share a meal. Because isn't that what we see Jesus doing? Post-resurrection. Jesus made specific mention of Simon Peter, that Simon Peter, 
Who knows how long Jesus, uh, Simon Peter cried that night. Maybe he cried for days because he was found out. And here's what we all now know about Simon Peter. He was weak, and he did deny Christ because he was weak. And Jesus went looking for him for breakfast. Not to eat him, but to eat with him. (laughs) In other words, I've worked very hard today to implicate you and me into this long gospel passage. And it is a gospel passage because at the end of it, we still have the Christ who believes. We still have the Christ who comes looking for the denier. (laughs) We still have the Christ who comes looking for the very one who betrayed. We still have the Christ who is currently looking for you. The meal is each week offered to folks who perhaps that same week have betrayed or denied or chosen a different way, a different path, a different posture. And each week, Jesus keeps showing up to offer you another chance. What do you say? If you're helping us to set this table, please come on. And Heavenly Father, as they come, would you help us? We, we need you to bless the bread and the cup now. Make it into something more than simple pieces of bread or sips from a cup. Make it into something more than that. Make, make it into something that we can understand to be the tangible offer of grace and possibility and future, especially for those who would fit into the category today of the one who would deny or the one who would betray. In other words, all of us. In other words, all of us. God, it is our hope that as we eat and drink that somehow we would build the capacity to, even in our darkest hours, to sing Psalm 22. And yes, to sing the first verse because we are implying also the last one. But God, give us the capacity today as we start Holy Week, as we start the descent into the darkness that would finally engulf Jesus. Give us the grace and the capacity and the courage to consider that we too do in fact share something in common with those who played such awful, horrible, specific roles. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pews to the left. That is, everyone who would like to participate, you are not required to participate. This is all voluntary, but you are all invited. But John, I have betrayed or I have have denied this week. Oh, then this is for sure for you. (laughs) You mean I'm not disqualified? No, if you recognize your need for this grace, you are absolutely not disqualified and you are not disqualified. Neither am I. 
So if you choose to participate today, what'll happen is I'll ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, your left, and come forward with open hands because that's how grace is always received, with open hands. You can't grab it, you can't buy it, you can't steal it. It is given to you as a gift if you will receive it. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece and press it into your open hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. Caleb right here is holding a cup and Caleb's gonna say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And there it is, the body and blood of Christ offered to you who may have this week denied or betrayed. It's grace. <laughs> it's grace. And then if you would, find a place to pray. Now, if you come to one of these side padded altars, we will recognize that as you're saying that you need a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you over here, Pastor Ken and Pastor Jim over here will meet you and pray that prayer for healing, physical, mental, emotional, familial, relational. If you need a prayer for healing, we'll pray it for you here. Or you may want to come to one of these mourner's benches up front and we won't assume a thing except that you are normal, human, And you need to know that you're not alone as you pray, and I'll make sure that you know that you're not alone. You may wanna make a special trip up here to dip your fingers into this water, meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism, when you were included in the most specific and official of ways. You may wanna circle right back around to your seat, which is perfectly fine, but I would ask that you would continue to pray. And maybe you should pray something like this, Ready? Surely not me, Lord. <laughs> or maybe right now you can feel it in your gut. Yeah, it's me. And it's been me. I remember the moment that it was me when I denied or betrayed or left the way. Then I would ask that you would pray to receive this grace that is on offer to you today in the most tangible of ways. It was on the night he was betrayed when our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, all chronically normal and human people, <laughs> would you stand up and exit your pews to the left and come forward with your hands open to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.